Hello, hello, listener. How are you today? I hope you are well. And thank you for joining the podcast. And in particular, the next in my series of Mindful Meets. And today we are going to be talking all about sensitivity, but perhaps not sensitivity in the way that you might think of it. In other words, we're going to unravel what it means to be sensitive, in fact, highly sensitive, with the benefit of our expert, Nina Koo. Nina, say hello. Hello. There she is. So the lovely Nina is going to help us through that because she is a sensitive leadership coach. She's what she calls a champion of women. Any male listeners, please don't turn off because this is going to be interesting. So hang around. And Nina is on a mission to fill the world with new, sensitive female leaders or to help female leaders who are sensitive bring that to the world and to their work and she can explain that much much better than me I'm going to ask her to do that in a moment but for the time being Nina you are very very welcome to the podcast oh thank you so much Laurie it's such a pleasure to be here thank you and I think to kick off, we probably need to talk about this whole sensitivity, sensitive thing. Um, in other words, it is a thing. It is an accepted, understood, tangible, um, would you call it a trait? Would you call it a characteristic? A trait. Yes. Yes. It's a temperament trait. It's a temperament trait. Okay. There you go. See, I'm learning already. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to to understand what it is by definition and and how it might manifest itself in in people. So um the highly sensitive trait has been around forever, but it was the psychologist called Dr. Elaine Aaron who identified this and called it the highly sensitive trait in the 1990s. So actually, even though it's been around forever, we haven't really identified it as such until fairly recently. And so it, as I mentioned, it's a naturally occurring temperament trait. It's found in approximately 20% of the population, although some researchers have found it in up to 30% of the populations. And very interestingly, um, evolutionary scientists have done lots of experiments and they've found it always consistently in this around, let, we'll call, let's call it 20%. They've always consistently found a same percentage in every in the species that they've examined. And they've found it in a, a, over a hundred different animal species, including humans. So you get highly sensitive chickens and fruit flies and whelks and bats and horses and cats and dogs. So yes, and they're, and they're concluded from finding this consistently in all these animal species, that it's the highly sensitive portion of the species that is here to keep ourselves and the rest of our species safe. And so we have a very important evolutionary role in that we are keeping our species going. So is that because being highly sensitive, we have a stronger um, risk sensor or a, a danger sensor then? Is that is that is that probably a, just a small part of the of the trait? Is that is that why? 
Yes. And so actually that's the fundamental characteristic of being highly sensitive, Laurie. So we are wired differently physiologically if we're highly sensitive. So highly sensitive people have two differences. Um, basically, we have highly sensitive brains and they've actually proven through fMRI studies that the highly sensitive brain takes in more information than the non-highly sensitive brain and it processes it more deeply as well. So if you think about it, we've got, you know, it's almost like walking around with a supercomputer in your head that is taking in more information and really doing this deep processing on everything. And also we have highly responsive nervous systems, which means we are triggered into fight, flight or freeze more readily than others. And so, you know, it's, it's the highly sensitive person who will notice the first signs of danger or will respond to any negative things or toxins in the environment. So we're like the canaries in the coal mine. We will respond and be the first alerters almost. And ultimately the rest of the population will be impacted, but we will be impacted first. I see. Okay. So, so that makes sense. So you're saying that these differences can actually be be picked up through through scans. So there are so so there are physiologically physiological differences in the receptors or in those in those um, mechanisms that actually then transfer those thoughts or those sensations to the brain. And so that's how we can we can then be diagnosed for want of a better word as having this particular highly sensitive trait. So the easy way to work out whether you're highly sensitive. Um, so basically, Dr. Elaine Aaron has got questionnaires on her website, which are free and they're easy to do. So okay. You can take her self-tests on her website, which is hsperson.com. But the quick and easy way to determine whether you're highly sensitive is to, there's five, key, well, four, four or five key characteristics that all highly sensitive people share. So most of the population will have one or two, but you need to have all of them to some extent to be thought of as highly sensitive. And they go by the very handy acronym DOES. So D stands D -O -E -S. for okay. yeah. So we so talk about the, the highly sensitive brain. So the depth of processing means that the brain is taking in more information and processing it more deeply, hence the depth of processing. So that's the D. And so how would we... So as an individual, how would I know that I process things deeply? What might that look like to me? Can you give me an example? So it's, I think the thing that stands out for me is when I speak to some people, I'll sort of say, what are you thinking about at the moment? And I'll go, nothing. And I'll kind of look at them and I go, is, is that even possible that you have nothing yeah. in your in going on in your head at the moment? Because normally with me, I'm, there's always something. There's always at least 10 thoughts going on in my head. Or, you know, somebody will say something. Um, oh, you know, something innocuous, like, I think we should ask my daughter to go and do the dishes or something. And my highly sensitive brain will go, oh, my God. Okay, so which daughter? Okay, is this the, the really... Um, highly responsive, interactive, explosive daughter. She's not going to want to do it. She's going to complain of this and that, and she's going to come up with a hundred different 
excuses and mm. besides you know it's a GCSE year we shouldn't be asking her anyway what else it? is going on was she asked first last time is it her turn is it someone else's turn? oh yes yeah absolutely. okay okay so that is the highly sensitive brain I would imagine and I'm just hypothesizing here because I don't have one but I would imagine the non-highly sensitive brain would just go yeah okay <laughs> without all of the other chatter so busy right. brain right okay and it's almost 24 7 the highly sensitive brain it's very hard and I will I will let the listener in to a secret that Nina and I had a conversation I I had never heard of this and then Nina and I had a conversation because we met networking didn't we on the um women's Athena network um and so we had a conversation and and she, uh, you, you actually very kindly allowed me to get to the conclusion. <laughs> but actually, although I thought this was completely normal, I thought everybody was like this. You suspected that probably I was in that highly sensitive um, sphere anyway, because of the way I thought and because of the way my brain was sort of working in response to, to you. So I just thought I would just let the listener know that. And then I can perhaps talk about it also a little bit from from my own personal um, connection with it that I now understand. Okay, so that's the D of does. So the and depth what do we go on to next? Depths of processing. Which mm -hmm. we've just illustrated beautifully there with the washing up analogy, which can lead to the O, which is overstimulation and overwhelm. Because clearly when you've got such a busy brain that is taking in more information and then processing all that information more deeply, it can sometimes just become too much. And I kind of think of it almost as like the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, we can go along, fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. And then suddenly, boom, you know, one extra thing comes along and we're like, okay, not done now. I can't cope with that. So overwhelm and overstimulation. And I suppose that meltdown is relative to, you know, it is different in different people, isn't it? So so for some, it might be that they just sort of stop and they become very unproductive for a while for however long it takes to then just get all the ducks in a row. But for others, it could be more emotional. So I suppose that what that actually creates, how that happens can be different. Absolutely. Yes. And even though we might all be highly sensitive, as you, you just said, we will respond differently. So overwhelmed. Mm look different for different people yes, yes. And also depending on you know self-care how well you know whether we slept well the night before whether we've eaten well what mm -hmm. our blood sugar levels are like how our cortisol levels are yeah, yeah all of that um so that's the d and the o the e stands for two things which is why i sometimes say you know there's five key characteristics so e stands for emotional responsivity so basically, highly sensitive people genuinely feel things more deeply than others. And this is positive things, but also negative things. So in terms of the negative things, you know, I tend to steer clear of listening to the news or reading the news. Um, and I do feel a little bit out of touch at times, but I just trust that the news will come to me when it does, because I find it quite depressing at times to hear about all the horrible things that are going on in the world. And then it can become overwhelming. So, and also if it's sad, you know, if it is there's something really, really sad, it it, it it's like it's happened to someone that you know. Yeah. Sometimes, 
yeah and that's because we're we're really feeling what's happening um but on the plus side you know with the emotional responsivity i love i love that highly sensitive people will really appreciate the sunsets or they'll they'll be the ones standing there gazing up at the full moon and the stars in the night sky or they'll be you know taking a walk through the woods and really tuning into the bird song and or hugging a tree or you know like really smelling the flowers so we we really notice all the beautiful things as well or the dew drops on the grass in the morning so we notice all these beautiful things so that's the plus side of the emotional responsivity and also you know, it... really loving beautiful pieces of music mm. or watching mm. wonderful play it's it's that ability to really appreciate and be moved by them would it also manifest itself in a um in an emotional barometer sort of in terms of what's going on or people you know that we that we meet so that's the other part of the e which is empathy oh. is that what you were meaning yes i so don't know because i i'm <laughs> but that's interesting that that came to mind and here you're about to explain it thank you so much so when we're not in overwhelm, highly sensitive people have the capacity to be really empathic. So we can sense what other people are thinking and feeling. And so, yes, the empathy is also a really big part of being highly sensitive. But the interesting thing to note is the empathy, we can be an empath and not a highly sensitive person, which for me is crazy, but I've met people who are empaths and not highly sensitive. Um, but you do have this capacity to be empathic if you are highly sensitive. And then finally, the S stands for sen with sensitive, no, sense. we can sense subtlety. So we just, it means we notice small things that other people miss. Now, this can be anything from, you know, needing to wear extra layers or carry around lots of different layers because we're sensitive to temperature. It could be that we don't like the fluorescent lights or they're a bit glaring. It could be needing to cut the scratchy labels out of your clothes or, you know, having to buy socks with no seams in them because you really hate the seams in your socks. Or it could just be sensitive to noise levels. So I find it quite distracting if I'm in a, like in, in a coffee shop or something and I'm trying to talk to somebody and there's lots of noise going on and it's really echoey, I hate that. So the sensing subtleties can manifest in many different ways. I have an interesting one there. So when we were talking, um, when we had our conversation before this podcast, a very, very dear close friend of mine came to mind, even before you and I discussed whether I might also be um, an HSP. Um, and I know that she uh, she struggles to wear nail varnish. Because when she when she puts nail varnish on, she says it feels heavy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and yeah. I remember when she first told me this about 20 years ago, I thought she was completely mad. And of course, now I'm thinking, okay, I sort of get that it feels cold when you first put it on, but to her, it feels heavy. She's the same with foundation. So she can wear a very light sort of tinted, moisturizer but the minute she puts anything slightly heavier heavier on she she can feel it mm -hmm. on her face so yes. I guess that's 
Yeah, that's it's manifesting for in, in like her senses are exquisitely sensitive. Mm -hmm. I love that. And of course, all of these things manifest differently for different people if you're highly sensitive. Um, so just to finish off there with the S, so it's sensing subtleties, but also, you know, just to reinforce, it's not just sensory things that we're, that we notice, it's also information. So I used to sit in boardroom meetings in my days in the corporate world and listen to people talk about projects and, you know, projects always have a deadline and I'd be sitting there thinking, well, hang on. He's just said, you know, that's late. And they've just said that this can't happen until that happens. There's no way they're going to hit the deadline. And I'd sit there thinking, but am I crazy? Because nobody else seems to notice this. And then, of course, I'd be proven right because we wouldn't hit the deadlines. And I think, oh, I wish I'd said something now. But it's just noticing information as well that other people perhaps don't notice. So it can be interesting. Yeah. And these people are intelligent people doing really yeah really good jobs yeah. but they're just not seeing it so is it something about more of a peripheral broader sort of bigger picture vision then yes which is exactly what I was just about to say it's almost like you're psychic here Laurie oh so I'm so sorry and then you know this is brilliant I love it but you're just demonstrating it's it, this is you know you are highly sensitive so you're almost like seeing one step ahead which is this beautiful ability we have so it's not just sensing subtleties, but it's the ability to relate them to the bigger picture. And this is what highly sensitive people can do. And so just to recap then, we have this beautiful depth of processing, which is the D, which can lead to overstimulation or overwhelm. We have amazing empathy and this incredible emotional responsivity. We sense subtleties that other people miss and we have this incredible capacity to see the big picture. So if you take the overwhelm out of that equation, you know, the depth of processing, the empathy, the emotional responsivity, um, the sensing subtleties and this seeing the big picture, these are really, really great gifts. And actually they're everything that the world needs at the moment. So yeah, it is, it's wonderful to be highly sensitive as you've just demonstrated. <laughs> oh, bless you. So, so you were talking then about your experience in the the corporate world so I'd like to just ask you just to we'll just take a pause around around be what it's like and how you help people and and pros and cons and things just to explore just to understand how this came to your attention and so what your relationship with being highly sensitive was how it sort of came to mind and how you've ended up where you are now can you just give us some some insight into your personal um, experience with it well do you know what Laurie I only realized that I'm a highly sensitive person about eight years ago so I went decades of my life not knowing and I find this amazing because I've been interested in psychology and the personal development world for many many years and I couldn't believe that I have a degree in psychology and I studied neurolinguistic programming and various other things. And I had never come across the highly sensitive trait or certainly not in a way that I actually took notice of it. And it's quite, a, yeah, it's quite, it wasn't funny at the time, but the way I found out that I'm highly sensitive um, is quite a story. So I have two daughters. Um, and we used to live in our old house. Our house was literally 
um, about 100 metres away from the primary school. So literally the school was at the bottom of our road. And my oldest daughter at the time must have been about seven or eight years old. And we used to really struggle to get her to school on time. Not every day, but some days. So she'd be, we'd think every, you know, we'd be going like, everything's fine. She's had breakfast. She's just upstairs getting her stuff. And then the next minute she'd be screaming and wailing and having a tantrum, writhing on the floor, pulling off her uniform. And um, as I said, this didn't happen every day. It was just sometimes. And I honestly got to the, the stage where I was thinking, oh my God, you know, there's something wrong with her or there's something wrong with me or do we need to get social services involved because I can't even get my daughter to school on time and we literally live down the road from the school. You know, what is wrong? And it was really challenging. And I remember one particularly awful day. My daughter was having a tantrum. I think we'd taken my other daughter to school, told the teachers, you know, my oldest daughter, she's on her way. We're going to, we are bringing her, you know, just bear with us. And they knew sometimes that we had challenges getting her to school. And so um, I think we finally, I think my husband might have had to fireman lift her over his shoulder and oh carry my goodness. her to school. And I was probably <laughs> running behind with a rucksack. And we sort of bundled her into school. And then I went to my friend's house and she lived across the road from the school. And I just burst into tears because it was just so traumatic for me. And she um, she gave me this book, which was The Highly Sensitive Child by Dr. Elaine Aaron and said, I think you need to read this. And so I read the book and I thought, oh, thank God, my daughter's not a monster. There's nothing wrong with her. There's nothing wrong with us. You know, she's just highly sensitive. And, you know, it, she might be overwhelmed. She might be having this tantrum because she hadn't slept well the night before. Maybe there was something going on at school that she was a little bit worried about. But this is how it was manifesting for her. So it was like, it was such a huge relief. And then I read more and I thought, hang on but this is, it's me as well. <laughs> and all these light bulbs started to go off. It's like, oh my God. So that's why I do this. And that, you know, and everything started to fall into place. And honestly, I've really felt it was like finally being given the right user manual for me. Yes. And I often say, you know, it's like I was living my life, you know, assuming that I was a fridge and I had a user manual for a fridge but actually I was an oven. And so I wasn't meant to be cooling food down. I was meant to be heating food up. And so the user manual that I had was completely wrong for me. Yes. And so for all the all that time before, how had you been questioning yourself? Had you been doubting yourself? Had you been um, feeling different and and, and in fact, maybe not as good as other people because you seemed to not be reacting to things in a, in the same way. I mean, had it, was it at the time and did you reflect on the fact that actually it had been negative for you not understanding that you'd been hard on yourself in any way? Gosh, absolutely. And this is why I'm so passionate about raising awareness of the highly sensitive trait. And this is why I've decided to focus my coaching on highly sensitive women yes it made such a difference to me knowing I I went through my life as exactly doing what you said it's like knowing that I was or sensing that I was different from everybody else 
And of course, now knowing that I'm highly sensitive, of course, it makes perfect sense because I would have been noticing that I was different and I couldn't do things that other people could do or I couldn't do things in the way that other people did them. And so there was always this negative self-talk of, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do things the way they can they do them? Or, you know, it'd be things like, I remember, I remember my mom, bless her, I think she was highly sensitive as well, but didn't know it, saying, you know, why are you still thinking about that? That happened weeks ago, you know, forget about it. You know, grow a thicker skin, you know, stop worrying about that. And I then I would beat myself up about worrying about something that I was worrying about that happened ages ago. But I didn't know to say, I'm I'm designed this way. Mm. I can't help it. This is what my brain does. Mm. And so, yes, there was constantly the always sensing that I was different, really feeling things deeply, you know, taking comments to heart. I had two older sisters. Um, one of them, bless her, used to bully me quite a bit or tease me. And I really felt it and I didn't, you know, I couldn't just shake it off and let it go. And so actually it impacted me for many, many years. And so it's all of these things, you know, sort of being at school and not knowing why I cared so much about things or why I took um, negative comments really to heart or, you know, why I, you know, I struggled with certain things, you know, it's like, I remember I was brought, I was born and brought up in Malaysia and in the schools there it was very much, you know, you had a classroom of 40 children at the time. This is going back quite a few years. And then the teacher would write something on the blackboard at the front and you'd have to quickly write it down and copy it down because then that, that would be your homework. And I could never write fast enough. So all of it would be rubbed off before I'd even got half of it down. And it was just so traumatic for me. Um, and then I'd get into trouble because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't written it down and all of this stuff. And I had no knowledge that it's because I was feeling everything so much more deeply because I was highly sensitive. And so if I had known, my life would have been very different. Mm. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about how it might relate to some of the people that I work with. And a lot of my clients are emotional eating so they're eating in response to what they're feeling and using food as a distraction as a way to numb feelings as a way to you know temporarily not 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 be feeling them perhaps and also to stop the thinking you know because there's a lot of reflection and I'm kind of thinking if somebody is highly sensitive and is eating in an unhelpful way that actually to understand that the thinking and the emotion is not necessarily a negative thing and to not think about it as something unwanted or unwelcome but to actually find a way of understanding the emotion and hearing it and responding to it or not responding, maybe just letting it dissipate. And also that thinking, perhaps there's a way of, of putting those words on paper and sort of reflecting on them, which actually means that they, they would be seeing that highly sensitive behavior as something that is 
not something that has to be pushed aside, that has to be distracted from, that has to be denied through using food, but that they could find a more um, constructive way of responding to those thoughts and those and those feelings. Did that make sense? I'm not sure whether that was just a complete ramble. No, completely. And isn't it fascinating? Because as you were saying that, of course, my highly sensitive brain was going in a gazillion different directions. Yes. <laughs> it's like great explosion. But yes, it makes sense, actually, that a lot of your clients who are emotional eating might be highly sensitive. And mm. you're absolutely right. It's like finding a more constructive, positive outlet for that emotion. It's like, um, yeah, highly sensitive people tend to be incredibly creative so it's whether they can write or maybe they can um, play music or they can sing or they can create a piece of artwork or, you know, whatever it is that would help them express their emotions because we're feeling things so much more deeply than others. And so rather than, you know, trying to distract ourselves through eating, it's about finding another positive outlet. So, yeah, that, you know, rather than, eating unhealthily they might turn into the next most amazing songwriter or something who knows who knows they could I mean or even if you're just just I mean it's a lovely pastime but just doing a jigsaw mm. you know but and then you have that added bonus of having if you like something to show for that emotion or that thinking you know you, you've at, you're actually challenging it into something which also means that you're moving forward with it rather than pushing it to one to one side. Yeah, and um, actually that example of doing a jigsaw, you know, it's that's a very mindful process and it is very satisfying because you then can see the big picture, you can take a step back and go, wow, I've created that. And so mm -hmm. while you're doing that, you know, your mind then can go into this beautiful flow state because you're being focused and your, you know, your hands are being channeled, but then your busy brain can go off in beautiful directions. Hopefully, yes, in a more sort of natural way, you know, allow it to do what it, what it wants to do. Yeah. So is so I'm I'm interested to know how you work with highly sensitive people, women mostly, and and how you can enable this this trait um to be something that really creates a leader that is something really special and that it's something that they can really celebrate talk to talk to us about about that if you would so at the foundation of all of the work that I do with my highly sensitive clients so there's if you think about it most of us will have been brought up by parents who didn't know that we were highly sensitive and have done studies um, on children who have been brought up in nurturing environments and children have been brought up in non-nurturing environments. So whether they're abusive or they just weren't recognized as being highly sensitive. And there's something called differential susceptibility. So the children who are brought up in nurturing environments, so it doesn't even mean that your parents have identified that you're highly sensitive. It's just that they, they know you need to do things in a certain way and they support you in that. Those children thrive. And this is all compared to non-highly sensitive children. So the highly sensitive children in the environments where they're given the space and the love 
to be who they are, they will thrive. The, sadly, the children who are highly sensitive in the environments where the parents either don't know you're highly sensitive or, you know, you might just be told constantly, oh, get on with it, you know, buck up, stop being oversensitive, which is my pet peeve, or it might be slightly abusive. Those poor children will grow up really needing therapeutic interventions or they might then emotional eating or they might um, turn to alcohol or drugs later on in life. And I've actually shown this in studies. So environment is so important for highly sensitive people. And so at the core of my work, it's always one of the prime needs for highly sensitive people is to, to feel safe. So we, we need to feel safe. So we need to feel that we have environments that nurture us and that we feel safe in. But also there's going to be these, probably these limiting beliefs that we've been brought up with. You know, we talked about noticing that you're different from others, which then can lead to the limiting belief of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. There's something wrong with me. Um, and then that has a whole host of repercussions. And so it's really about explaining what it means to be highly sensitive explaining your physiology and you know we talked about having a brain that takes in and processes things more deeply and our highly responsive nervous systems but as a consequence of our wiring and our physiology then we have a whole host of what I call shadows of being highly sensitive the challenges which are people pleasing you know we need to feel safe we need to feel liked so we tend to people please because when we're people pleasing, then people will like us and we'll feel safe. You know, that's a very um, core evolutionary thing to feel part of a tribe so that you feel safe. But then of course, that means we tend to overgive to our own expense. And then that can lead to overwhelm. And then that can lead to burnout and ill health down the line and then resentment and, and then guilt. And, you know, then we have this whole host of, negative um, self-criticism going on in our heads because with that busy brain of course there's a lot of self-talk and if we allow it to go to the negative side that one negative thought then becomes a gazillion negative thoughts so it's about really being mindful of what we're thinking about always trying to look at okay but what is the good in this because of course mm -hmm. then once we put a good thing in our mind that turns into a gazillion good things and so it's really explaining to my clients that, you know, how their physiology works and then how that makes them show up in the world. Mm. And so you might not think, okay, my illness or my emotional eating or whatever it is, or my inability to be promoted at work or my wanting to not speak out about things in meetings or, you know, whatever it is you might not realize that that is because you are highly sensitive, but it probably is. And so it's really explaining and looking at what's going on in their lives. And I can almost like, like most of the time, it will just stem back to the way they are wired as highly sensitive people. Yes. And of course, it's not just leaders. I mean, it's at any level, isn't it really? In our, any time in our lives, so it might start back in school. It might be when we're quite junior in the workplace. And of course, the problem with the workplace that the nature of it has to be that there are 
um, set expectations. You know, we've all we all had personal performance plans and there are KPIs and there are all sorts of rules and sort of expectations of how your role is going to be delivered. And and so we are every step of the way guided by by rules, aren't we? Because there has to be a framework. And I think all of us understand that. But of course, if we are thinking about things and feeling things differently, then that's going to be challenging probably most of the time, isn't it? Or a lot of the time for us mm -hmm. to fit within the parameters set by other people. And so mm -hmm. that then enables us to go, God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I can't do it the way they want me to do it, the way they want me to do it, you know? And it's, so I can see that without this knowledge, one can be continually questioning, is it me? You know, is it me Yeah, all the time? Yes, absolutely. And, and always feeling that you're falling short of the society's expectations or your workplace's ex expectations. And the interesting thing to note there as well, as you were saying that about, you know, the performance reviews, it's like highly sensitive people don't tend to perform well when they're being watched. And so you give a highly sensitive person a project and say, here you go, I need you to do this by, you know, have, deliver it within a week's time, go off and do it. They'll do it really well. They'll just take it and they'll run. But if you're hovering over them, asking them constantly, okay, so have you done this? Have you done that? And they're almost like under a microscope, they'll just shrink and become overwhelmed and not do well under pressure, which is really important. So I have a question here. I wonder how many highly sensitive people end up having their own businesses, being entrepreneurial, not being employed because they just need to be, yes, getting a good outcome, but in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, definitely. I think I think a lot of highly sensitive people do thrive if they have their own businesses, because then they can, as you say, they can work in their own way. They, you know, you can deliver things when you want to, you can set up your environment how you want it. Having said that though, you know, I really want to encourage highly sensitive people in the workplace to understand what their needs are, to recognize that they work better in certain ways, and then to have the ability to speak out about it and say, do you know what? I really don't like having a desk behind the photocopier machine. It really doesn't work for me. Is there a chance I could move somewhere else? Or do you know what? There's an empty space by the window. I'd love to have some natural light. Would it be okay if I move that? Um, and these are all things that I did when I was in the workplace. Without even knowing <laughs> I did wonder. Um, and then bringing pot plants in, you know, all these sort of things. I didn't even know I was highly sensitive at the time. But it's about really knowing how to create an environment and how to take responsibility and know what your needs are so that you can fulfill your own needs. Because once you know what is right for you, then you can say, tell others about it. Because if they're not highly sensitive, they won't have a clue what you need. And so mm. it's up to you to tell others what it is that works for you. Absolutely. Yes, 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 absolutely. And, and, and I'm, mindful that we're kind of getting near to the end of our time but I just did want to just bring up something that I mentioned to you when we had our our chat I remember saying to you so so if I go into a restaurant 
and I've got the option of two of two tables and I've no idea why but I know I don't want to sit in that one because well maybe I don't quite like the lighting or it's a bit close to that door or something or and I definitely want to face this way and I don't really like that chair because it's you know so all of those things are part of being highly sensitive and you made a point which very neatly takes us right back to the beginning you said specifically something about sitting with your back to a door yes yes well it all comes back to safety doesn't it if you think our primary objective is to feel safe if we have our back to the door we can't see if there's any danger coming in so you'll probably want your back to the wall facing the door you're scanning the environment knowing where everything is so yeah, what, what you've just described there is is so important. And also it's like knowing and understanding I'm not being precious or, you know, my trait is not a nuisance and I'm not being really awkward. It's I'm fulfilling some really primal needs here. And it's like, I'm here for a reason because what greater purpose could we have than to keep ourselves and the rest of our species safe? So don't ever think of your highly sensitive trait as a nuisance or a weakness or something you need to hide or overcome or fix. Embrace it and really look at all the good things that it brings and ultimately look at your purpose for being here. It's to notice things, to be the first alerter, to see things that other people don't see yet and to speak up about it. So that's so important. Oh, wonderful. What a way to finish. Well, there we are. So if you're listening and you think that you may be a highly sensitive person, I'm going to put some links in the show notes so that you can have a look at the website from, give us her name again, Nina. Dr. Elaine Aaron. So Dr. Elaine Aaron. Yeah, Yeah, it's com. Thank you. So I'll put that in. And of course, ways for you to get in touch with with Nina, if you'd like her incredible one to one support to help you navigate perhaps your high sensitivity and what that can bring you now that you've accepted and acknowledged um, how amazing that is. Oh, Nina, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Laurie. It's been a pleasure to be here and to speak to you about this. Really, really wonderful. So thank you, listener. Wow, that was, let me see your brains, your brains firing on all cylinders now, isn't it? So thank you so much for listening. There are lots of other episodes that you can listen to of Mindful Meets and also of my Mindful Moments where you might know I just empty my head on a topical um, point of view on something that might have just popped into my highly sensitive brain that you might find quite interesting. As ever, thank you so much. Do please rate the podcast, which will enable it to get a little bit more traction. And you might not know that you're also able to support the podcast with a very small donation, which will enable me to spread my net even wider to encourage um, a broader range of guests on as well. So there's another little thought, but I'm very happy to have you as a listener. Thank you. And we will see you next time.